Welcome to First Millie's Next Gen Wealth Podcast, where we explore next gen wealth stories and strategies. This is our third episode where we invite Claude Alexander Bennett, a first gen Jamaican, British, American, former options trader and systems risk manager. And he's also one of my lifelong best friends. In this episode, we explore what debt means. The first half is spent redefining debt, and the second half explores how debt can be leveraged to your advantage. I hope you all enjoy it. If you have any thoughts, please feel free to email us at podcast at firstmilli.com. Millie is spelled M-I-L-L-I. Please feel free to check out our website and our social media for some fun graphics. Morning, morning from sunny Los Angeles. Welcome, Bennett. Welcome. Howdy, folks. How's it going? We, we got the proper Southern gentleman on the call. What up? Um, so Bennett and I met over uh, decades ago. Man, I feel old. We met outside of like the uh, Hill residential area uh, at Penn. I think within like the first month of my first time at Penn, you know, I didn't know anybody. I had just moved out to the East Coast. I was like, man, I hope I'm making the right decision. And like Bennett was one of the first few friends that um, I like really connected with at, at Penn. And I'm, I'm lucky to have him still as one of my very best friends to this day. I'm uh, very lucky to have you too, Bexter. And if I recall correctly, it was maybe up to nine days before school started, classes started. That we yeah, met. maybe it, it was. It was literally either the first or the second day that I arrived on campus that I remember just deciding to step out one night to you know clear my head and and just you know seeing you locking eyes and just being like oh, I'm gonna go talk to this person and that was okay. yeah and like one of our one of my favorite memories is uh, when when I asked you like hey do you want to go with me and some friends to go see Benny Benassi in New York City. You were like, sure. So we took like this $7, $10 mega bus to New York City. And we decided to sleep at a diner in order to avoid paying for like a hotel because we were all broke. I mean, maybe you weren't, all of y'all weren't, but I was definitely broke. I was, broke um, I was eating ramen. Oh, yeah, man. All that ramen. That's so unhealthy, man. All that sodium in there, man. But yeah, we were definitely frugal ballers for, for a minute. Yeah, frugal ballers for sure. Sure. Frugal ballers, frugal ballers. Um, so, Bennett, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Okay. Uh, yeah, well, my uh, full name is Claude Alexander Bennett. I, uh, I'm a first-generation Jamaican-British-American. I was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, one of my biggest financial influences is my father. He was raised in rural Jamaica in the 1960s without running water or power. He had to get a full scholarship just to be able to go to high school. And he actually got a full ride to the best school in the, in the West Indies and then got a full ride to get his engineering master's, which is how he met my mother over in the UK. Um, but yeah, in the early 2000s, my father founded his own civil engineering business in Atlanta. And it's very successful right now. Uh, they do a lot of local government contracts, a lot of water systems works. Uh, and it's, it's actually, I'm actually working for him right now. Uh, but yeah, I went to Penn. I was class of 2013 with Becky. I why, why you got to say this here, man? Don't don't tell them here. Then they can do the math and figure out how old we are. Oh, my gosh. I, we're, we're, we're young. We're still young. We're still in our 20s. We're just barely made the cut, you know. 
we're, we're the, the senior millennials at this point. But uh, yeah, I went to Penn. Um, I studied PPE, which is philosophy, politics, and economics, with a concentration in globalization. Um, but what I focused on the most with that was uh, learning about behavioral economics and behavioral psychology, which is what I found to be my passion in addition to writing on the side. Um, and I took that knowledge and that kind of more alternative view of finance and was able to parlay that into a Wall Street internship in the fall of 2012 or in the summer of 2012. Uh, and then I took that and used that experience to get a job working in options trading in Chicago, uh, where I ended up trading the volatility index, options on the volatility index for over five years. Uh, until the start of 2019, when I decided it was time for a change, and I decided to move home and you know help out dad work for the family business for a while while I plan and, and plan my next money moves. Sorry, man, I, I got like this morning brain right now. So, uh, could you explain what sales option trading is in English? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I, I had two different internships. Uh, they're in a very similar space, but they're slightly different. So the uh, Wall Street internship that I had was sales and trading. And for that, what it mostly was dealing with was either the active trading of stocks or bonds uh, in a fin secondary financial marketplace, or it was the sales side. There was also an opportunity to explore that, in which case you were a broker and you're a person reaching out to hedge funds, to pension funds, to individual high net worth investors, trying to sell them new stock issues, et cetera, that the bank is pitching. Um, the second job that I got, which is options trading, uh, and particularly VIX options trading, is it involves what are called derivatives. And derivatives are literally just a financial instrument that performance and financial value is tied to another financial instrument. It literally just means a product that is derived from another product. Um, and the beauty and the opportunity that lies in options is that you can use leverage. So if you say that you have an Apple future and, you know, for every dollar that Apple goes up or down, you can profit a dollar by buying that future in the same way you bought the stock. The thing is, if you get a future, you might just put, have to put down exchange fees. You might have to pay a nickel, a dime. You might have to pay a dollar. And you get the same risk exposure and profit potential as being able to, you know, spend however many hundreds or thousands of dollars Apple stock might be at at the current period of time. Um, and the benefit of that and the trouble you can get into with that is, is one and the same, which is leverage. Um, so a lot of opportunity for profit. It's a space that I think a lot of people should, you know, get to know because it's, it's not arcane. It's, it's not financial wizardry. It's very simple stuff. There were people yeah. who worked with. And, and like, how much were you able to make in, in those five years? I remember it, it was like a very nice sum. I mean, at least for your firm. Yeah. Um, if I recall correctly, over five years, what I profited for my firm was $4.5 million or $4.75 million trading options. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah. And of that, I got to keep about 20%, you know, 10% after taxes. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely more, you know, I, I believe I did well for a first job out of college. Yeah, man, we're we're definitely going to have to have you come back in and talk a little bit more about that space. But so what we're actually going to talk about today is something that 
so you know Bennett you know decided to take um to pivot from trading and he's just been thinking a lot about personal finances and uh he's been specifically thinking about debt and at least like how the personal finance space thinks about debt so so Bennett what do you think the current personal finance space thinks about debt um Okay, so I'm going to start by saying that I understand what traps they're trying to avoid and I get where they're coming from. But people in the personal finance world, particularly the millennials in it, I see speaking about debt as if it's some sort of crutch, as if it's some sort of shackle that is meant to impoverish us and keep us in some sort of cycle of destitution. When right, it, but but in the millennials' defense, like I, I think the millennials are the generation with literally the most student loan and credit card debt, like versus ac- versus across even newer generations. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and we have less job security than previous generations had by and large at the same time. Um, so, so, like I said before, I I understand where it's coming from because the thing is, debt has been used against us. We were not educated about compounding interests we weren't educated about um you know how, how to the, maintain the our gen, credit score even yeah. if we at least the first gen wasn't yeah, really I, mean, yeah. I mean i didn't know about this Particularly being a first generation american and and you know even to tie back a little bit to your first podcast you know that could be as simple as a cultural issue you were speaking about how in pakistan credit or credit cards isn't really a thing it, in jamaica it's not as much either and in britain well it isn't either yeah, they have credit cards in Britain, but there's not this credit card spend first culture there. So for me, I, I, I was not, I don't think I had the facilities and I had to learn how to, how to deal with these things. But, um, you know, debt, debt in the same, in a similar way to all financial instruments is, is, is an opportunity. Like debt is, is a way to extend your leverage. If, you know, debt is a way to, effectively multiply the amount of capital that any individual corporation or entity can use. You know, it's, it's very like, there are certain things that you should put on a credit card, you know, whether it be travel expenses because there's insurance, or I know that, you know, for example, American express has one of the best um, consumer protection and electronics protection policies that you can get. And so better than even buying a warranty, just putting it on your Amex and, and, you know, there can be the situation where, let's say you have a suit you need to go buy, a tailored suit that you need to go buy, and you can get it for a good deal. Because you got to look good, man. You got to look good. You know, you got to dress for the job that you want. And let's say you get it on a dress department. Exactly. You get it for $400, custom made, high quality materials, you know, just some in some, who knows, you either get it online or you find it in some shop downtown. And the alternative is that, you know, you also have a friend who's got a business investment for you that, that checks out or there's a, there's a financial like stock marker that the technical integrator that you've been watching and there's a $400 buy that you got to put down and you only have $400. The obvious choice is to create debt. Like right. that's a win-win and that's not how we were taught to use debt and that's not how debt was used against us. Right. So, so sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Um, but as I'm hearing you talk about this, I'm, I'm realizing why you're thinking about it like this. And maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but like, I think because of your extensive, you know, options trading background where you were managing millions of dollars, you, you kind of see everything as a system. And so that's why you started narrowing in on debt. You're like, why is debt getting so much flack, man? Why? Like, 
Debt is a huge part of the American economy. So I see you, man. You're you're redefining debt. The global economy. I mean, it's, it's for, for better or for worse, debt is is here, um, and it, it's a part of all of our lives. So I mean, you know, just as is true with so many, you know, things. You know, what you resist persists. Like you know, it, having debt is not necessarily the problem or a problem. It can actually be a benefit, and can actually say that you're utilizing your human and financial capital to the greatest extent possible. There's no part of that. On the other hand, like, you know, my, my father was telling me a story of one of his business friends whose daughter had taken out a college loan that had such high interest rates and such high interest payments on it that it had. Can you tell me what it was? Like, what, what was her interest rate? Like, I don't remember, but it was, it was probably like, you know, let's say 15% or something like that on like a $200,000 loan. But the net result was that with her student loan payments, which, you know, and I'm, I'm just eyeballing this math here. I'm, I'm not, this is not the real numbers. You know, let's say all she made coming out of college was, you know, $45,000 and her expected monthly payment was $600. She had a net increasing principal wow. with her interest. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a story for a lot of people. You know, like, uh, you know, and, and I think particularly for a lot of first generation Americans, for a lot of minorities, a lot of black people in particular, um, I, I, there's such a lack of education about what goes on around what goes on around. Um, yeah, how, how debt is structured. And I mean, I, I have a lot of back, background in then determining, you know, how much principal are you going to get approved for? What's your interest rate going to look like? What are your interest rate? Um, sorry, what are your payment monthly payments going to look like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But let's 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 dive more into like you, you talk about leveraging debt, like using it to your advantage. Let's talk more about that. Like what what can you like what is what does that mean? So for me, it, it means like debt frees up disposable income for me. Agreed. Like for example, I'm a huge fan of using balance transfers. I'm Sorry to interrupt always. You, I would I would almost say that debt frees up investment income might be a more. So when when I say disposable income, it's like a layer above that. You know, it means that you can decide to invest it. You can decide to save it. You can discretionary income. I understand this is semantics, but. Yeah. So, okay. All right. Let's frame it as, as investing income for sure. So yeah. my favorite thing to do is, okay. So I feel like everyone's going to get mad when I say this, but I always have debt and I'm okay with always having debt. Yeah. I, I mostly do like balance transfers. I do a lot of investments in like, uh, my business equipment, like, you know, buying podcast stuff. And then I'm like, okay. And then I'm going to throw all of that into a balance transfer where I'm not paying any interest rate for like two years. Mm -hmm. And so what that does for me is that that lets me just like break it up into like little monthly interest-free payments. I mean, yeah, I got to pay the, the initial price of like transferring that balance transfer, but it allows me to free up my 2000, $5,000. But uh, in, in terms of like my overall like portfolio, like it makes a tiny, tiny, tiny piece. Like if I wanted to pay off that debt, I can pay it off whenever I want to. Like I still, I even still have student loans. I think the interest rate on my student loan is like 1.92% or something like that. And because it's so low, I'd rather like, no, pay, there's, um, there's, go there's, ahead. You're, you're okay. So, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is it, 
you said you're right. Like I do think about things in terms of systems and it's really just this scale. You got to do the calculus of balancing the interest, right? If exactly you have access to interest-free money and you have a solid, not even a guaranteed, but a solid indicator that you will have a stable amount of income that'll allow you to pay the principal payments, you, the financially intelligent thing is to take that money and then invest it in something that is very low risk. Like legitimately, if your interest payments are lower than the interest payments or the risk, the return possibility potential of what you could be investing in, whether that be, you know, a quantifiable financial return, or like I was mentioning earlier with a suit with something that can pay off in your life or help you get a job, like some sort of emotional or social return. It can be literally where you're, you're, you're getting free. You're, you know, it's that saying it's free real estate. You're getting free money. To, to buy opportunity. Sorry, I thought I thought you were going to keep going. Excuse me. Yeah. Did you, uh, usually, yeah, usually when, when we talk on the phone, there are never like any blank moments. So I'm like, no, oh, no, oh, oh, oh. trying to keep it concise. We we have my brain at like 7 a.m. here, and um, I think you're you're 10 o'clock in in Atlanta. Yeah, pretty 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 grateful for that. All right. Uh, let's see. So, okay, but. The, the, I think the biggest problem with debt is, um, you know, f- for some people, it's, it's hard to, to have debt and feel like you're growing. Like, I feel like Dave Ramsey is always preaching to not have debt, that we should be able to buy homes and cars, uh, without debt. I'm like, ah, dude, that is impossible possible in today's age like maybe the dollar was worth a lot more during dave ramsey's time but i cannot buy i mean i could but i it's not a smart like financial decision to do that so yes i'm i'm like my goal is always like how how do i leverage debt i make sure i have a high credit score Mm-hmm. I make sure I have like a, a nice cash flow in case I ever hit emergencies and I make sure that I can handle that debt. I have a system in place where I can like maintain that debt where I'm like constantly like slowly picking off at it. And I'm okay having um, up to $5,000 of, of debt knowing that I can pay off at any moment's notice as long as they're the it's not causing like any interest interest payments and all, all of it is zero zero percent for me except a car loan like if so there's there's a i i make a differentiation between toxic debt and um i guess like stable debt so to me toxic debt is anything that's like agree with that. go ahead no i 100 percent agree with that distinction yeah so to me toxic debt is anything between four to five percent or above and stable debt is below that and the reason why i say that is because toxic debt kind of can kind of put you in a spiral where your interest payments are growing like crazy and you're you're you you kind of get stuck in this like debt cycle which which is dangerous and and then you have yes. the other side which is stable, stable debt and a reason why I make this distinction is because if my money is, so let's say I have $5,000 to pay off. If I can get like 8% net return on the market, I'm going to choose to uh, continue investing and get my 8% net return. So when I say net, I mean, this is like post all the fees, everything. And um, when it comes to like my, my uh, stable debt, I like, I'm comfortable with, with anything uh, 3% and below. So like my car loan, 3% and below anything, 3% and below. I think like mortgages, anything for uh three to 4% hey, and below. You, is, you is, below 3% in a mortgage. In I'm sorry. 
You should easily be able to find below 3% of a mortgage in this market, easily. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone's like, man, you, sh- you shouldn't make these decisions because um, you're, you're accruing debt. And I'm like, but that's fine if I can at least reasonably pay it. Even if, I, if, even if I get laid off, even if I lose my job, I should be able to still reasonably make these payments for at least six to nine months af- after that period. Which is enough time to regroup and get yourself back on your feet and find a new source of income easily. I mean, at least we hope so. I mean, these days and times, there's a lot of things are up in the air. And oh, you, you know what's also cool about this time? There's a lot of small businesses uh, sprouting up everywhere. I, I see these like million new Etsy accounts. Shopify stock is going up. I'm like, man, look at everybody just trying to do their thing. Like, so, so. So for me, it's like you got all these small businesses for me, and the, and how do these small businesses grow, Bennett? You you tell me. No, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, the I don't know if you ever seen Ray Dalio's uh, "How the Economy Works" video. I, man, I just talk about it all the time. Yeah, like, please send it to me though. Like having debt, the ability to borrow is literally what helps run America's economy. If like, I, I just don't think we know this until we like travel and we listen to other people talk China, about debt. Go China ahead. Own such a large percentage of our government bonds that they. Oh they, man, let's not talk about that. Let's not, man. That that's a whole other thing. But, you know, we can, whatever. We're not gonna, you know, we're, we're not put on our tinfoil hats just yet. You, you know what? You just if you want to talk about it a bit, go go ahead. No. Um. Well, let me put my tinfoil hat first. All right. All right. Go ahead. Okay. Um. Yeah, I mean, when, when you think about just the way the, the debt economy kind of works, like, as far as I understand it, America's strength is just the fact that everyone likes the U.S. dollar. It's a, it's a very pleasing currency. Everyone's willing to trade in it. In countries where the current, their own currency is unstable, oftentimes all they will buy or sell in is dollars. And so because we have, because the system of our money is so, is so stable and is, Exactly. Everything, like our credit is almost too big to fail in the same sense that banks on Wall Street were in 2008. Like we are the too big to fail Wall Street bank of the global economy. Yeah, the the world's going to make sure we stay propped up because if we fall apart, if our capital markets fall apart, because let me tell you something, this is where the world's putting their money in. This is where the millionaires and billionaires of the world, of the growing middle class of China is putting their money in. So if we fall apart, yeah, <laughs> it's it's a ripple effect. It's a huge ripple effect. Um and and you know, it's it's it's, it's our fault, but you know, we were also enabled and it, it just seems like that's the current economic pickle. And as far as I can understand it, that's why we're in the second longest or longest bull market in the history of America. Um, you know, cause as, as far as I can see it, like, I think we've done a good job of managing our debt payments and, and, you know, creating social welfare and, and, you know, spreading out employment across the economy. But I do feel like the next real economic downturn could be like the quote unquote big one. Um, you know, cause it's, you know, when we consider, cause all it would take in my mind is for America to cross that metaphorical geopolitical line of they've gone too far or they're now a liability in the geopolitical landscape or, you know, we can't trust them to handle their monetary policy well. And for people to set, take that mental investment out of the dollar 
as being the currency of the world and have it be the yen. And, and granted, I think one of the reasons why the yen doesn't work as a global currency is the same reason why the, um, they're an export economy. The, the yen is based on an export economy. Yeah, totally. And, and the unit is so small. Like, the unit is so small. People don't want to trade in 500, 5,000 something. They just want a yeah. single dollar, a single pound, you know, a single sterling, a single euro. Um, it, yeah. yeah, anyone who, who travels and they, and they uh, like, use, like, other currency, mm-hmm. like, money goes, $1 is usually, like, for example, in Pakistan, $1 is, like, 167 uh, PKR, so Pakistani rupees. And in Mexico, I think $1 is 20, 20 to 25 pesos. So imagine just, like, doing that math all the time where you yeah. have to multiply. It's just, like, it's it's so, it's what, because you're dealing with, like, bigger numbers, it's it's harder. It, it, it becomes a little bit more complicated, especially yeah. those with, when it, with, uh, when the conversion goes into three digits. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, like, I'm, I'm literally looking at the Jamaican dollar right now, and the Jamaican dollar is 141 U.S. dollars. Sorry, 141 U.S. dollars Jamaican dollars is one U.S. dollar. So yeah, imagine buying ice cream. It's like, hold, hold up, let me open up my wallet and like, I, I, you know, <laughs> I, I hear you. Yeah, so, no, I, so okay, I sorry, I remember my parents, you know, spending two thousand dollars to buy a loaf of bread when I was a kid, and I'm just being like, what, bro? That's called inflation, hyperinflation. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Anyway. All right, so we're talking a lot about debt. We're we're saying, yo, man, it's not such a bad thing. Use a use. You should use it to leverage. You should use it to your advantage. Okay, bro, but like, how do you maintain debt? What's what's your system, Bennett? Like, how do you control your credit score? Like, how do you define good debt? When when is it a good time to take it? Because because man, what what if I just take on debt after this and be like, I'm gonna yell at you late later? I'm like, you told me debt was good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know. Feel free to yell at me. I just want to answer the call. Um, yeah, please feel free to yell at him. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, for me, it's, you know, I, I think the big, a big thing for me in, in a variety of, of fields and spaces is a simple just consciousness, simply consciousness and awareness. Um, you know, mo- most of us millennials have, you know, three, four, five credit cards. Are you aware of? I have seven to eight in case anyone wants yeah. to five i think um and i'm thinking of getting some more so i can get that you know sweet sweet uh you know zero percent balance transfer but like you know is are you aware of which credit card is good for what thing like which credit card gives you two percent off at the grocery store which percent gives you three percent at the gas station which one gives you you know you know five percent off of travel and then you're, you're talking about credit card rewards hacking absolutely hundred percent. But I mean, it's, it's, it's just the, it's just the presence of mind to be aware every time that you go to a store being present of mind of, do I need this? Is this thing net going to help me in the long run or the short run financially? Or is it just simply, yeah. Or like I said, is it something that's a necessity? So you make that calculus decision of is what I'm buying worth it. Then you pull out the credit card and there has to be the conscious decision of which credit card am I using and why? Like I've got seven credit cards. I've got them all for different reasons, whether I remember them or not. But this one has rewards on this. That one has rewards on that. And also there's the interest rate. So, you know, something that I will often do is even when I have debt, like if I need to make a big ticket purchase, I'll just put it on the best credit card that has the most rewards points or the lowest interest rate and then just pay it off, you know, as soon as I leave the store, just pay off that exact amount to my credit cards. Um, yeah, I always grab like a little post-it note and I'm like 2% gas, like 
uh, 5%, I don't think I get 5%, like, uh, 3% on, like, eating out, blah, 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 and, like, I, I, yeah, so when it comes to ever paying for, for a meal, I, I said this on my last podcast, like, I'm definitely the one being, like, I, I volunteer to pay for the whole thing, and y'all Venmo me, because I want those points. Everyone looks at you sideways, because they know. Yeah, I mean, not really, because everyone's, like, oh, Becky, you're so nice, I'm, like, yeah, I know. Well, I, I, I know, and I will. <laughs> All right, maybe you and I can, can fight, fight that off when, when, when we see each other in 2021. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, I, I, well, well, let's say let's say I'm like a, a business owner, or or I'm looking to buy a car. Like, yeah, credit credit card debt. Um, yeah, that that's pretty pretty easy to understand. But like, what about when I look at loans? Like, how do I know I'm getting a good deal? Okay, I, or uh, at least the the best deal that I can get. I mean, I I think you know for a start, research, shop around. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of different online resources that can help you figure out what, you know, what interest rate you could potentially get with your credit score. Maybe focus on repairing your credit score first before you reach out for that loan. You know, take, you know, two, three months and try to focus on that. That could be the, the most beneficial thing you can do for yourself. Um, I also believe that, I, I don't know. To be to be honest, the business space is something that I might even have to bring my father on this podcast to talk about a little bit more. But I do think there's also a lot of opportunities in the business space for people to just, you know, juggle the interest rates and figure out, you know, what there's a new promotion for this or that. Right. So let's let's say you're looking for a band's transfer. Like what what would your process be? I mean, I got mine, but I just want to hear yours. Okay. Um yeah, I mean, uh, granted, this is actually something that I don't uh, have a lot of experience with personally either. But I mean, I'm generally just looking for, you know, perks that come along with the credit card, um, you know, the highest available credit balance that I can get, or at least one that would cover the balance that I'm trying to transfer, uh, you know, the longest period of time with a low APR, 0%, uh, you know, return or interest rate, and then what the interest rate will be after that return rate is the case. Yeah. I mean, what, what I, what I do is, so I'm like, okay, I have, there's a reason why I have seven credit cards. I think I only use like maybe two or three on a, on a like revolving basis, uh, you know, just to like help, uh, pay off for flights or like for food, gas, grocery, groceries, whatever. And, uh, so, and then the rest of them are, are meant for balance transfers. And so what I do is like, um, every here and there, I make a little purchase on them so that the credit card company doesn't close my account which they do sometimes yeah. not cool because then yeah, that affects your, your credit history. Yeah. Which is something that I actually happened to me recently, which I didn't even realize could happen. So you live in your life. Yeah. And if it's your oldest credit card, then no, you lose that credit, credit history. Yeah. That's the biggest hit on your credit. I actually have to call and discover today. Now that you mentioned that. I, I don't know if it's the, the biggest hit on your credit, but it's definitely a hit on your on your credit. I, mean, so, I know that credit age is a big part of your credit score. And so your oldest credit card being eliminated would decrease your credit age by the most is, is just my perspective. Oh, for sure. But but not your biggest hit. Um, yeah. Sorry. I just I just really know a lot about credit cards. Um, which is why it's most. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, man, don't, don't, man, don't challenge me on my credit game. I, I would love to have a podcast where someone like try, we we try to have a battle off on credit, and then once they tell me something I don't know, I'd be like, whoa, I'll be like thrown against the wall. Um, wait, so balance transfer. Do you know Nerd Wallet, the website Nerd Wallet? 
Of course, I know Nerd Wallet. Right. Have you considered reaching out to them? I mean, they could be. Who knows? Anyway. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so balance transfers. So my strategy is um, I have like these seven uh, accounts, revolving accounts that I make sure they stay active. And the reason why I do that is because I use two, three of them for uh, balance transfers. And these are the cheapest balance transfers because you already uh, opened them up in your name. Like, you know, you already you already got an inquiry, a hard inquiry on them. And like, you know, you can only get like two to three hard inquiries within two years before like it really starts stinging your your credit. Okay. So, yeah. So then um, I think the max on them are like 5,000 each. Mm-hmm. So every time like I decide to invest in a laptop or something, I buy the laptop and then I do a balance transfer and then I just, I start paying it off slowly. But before I do the balance transfer, I shop between those three accounts and I look which one's giving me the best rate. And usually the rates are pretty, pretty good. They're like, you know, one to 3% transaction wow. fee, which is, which means, um, you know, if I have $5,000, they'll only charge me, man, you do the math. His, what is that? Like so so if, if it's like. I mean, I, I usually don't do 5,000. I think I do like a thousand, but if, if I do 5,000, then, um, that's a $150 trans transaction fee. But I I'd say I'm usually in, in the 1000 range mm-hmm. so that I'm paying $30 to just have that bank hold my money for two years. Cause that's usually the length of my, uh, balance transfer, um, option. So they hold it for tw- like 24, 24 months. And I just make my, my pay, like I, I do the math like a, a thousand divided by twenty four and I and I just make those payments over time. So that's forty one dollars, forty one dollars a month, forty two dollars a month where I'm paying like interest fee payments um on buying my laptop. So I I just made that cheaper just for thirty bucks. But thirty bucks I think that's a great great decision because then that allows me to free up my today's $1,000. And then what I do with that today's $1,000, I throw it into the, um, into the market. And, um, hopefully I make my, my seven to 10%. And then, I mean, like that's already like 70, a hundred dollars out of my 1000. So between, so you can do the math, you know, a hundred dollars minus $30 means I'm profiting $70, um, by keeping, by being able to uh, leverage debt, freeing up my, as you said, investable income, and uh, and putting it in, in the market and and making making my money. I, yeah, and I mean that sounds like a hell of a system you got. I do want to talk to you about this a little bit more when we get off the podcast. Oh uh, man, I thought that's what we were talking about today. You you told me you wanted to rethink debt and using it to your advantage, and I was like, all right, he knows he knows what I'm doing. All right, well let's well, do I'm, it. I'm 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 up on the game, but you're uh you know you seem to have ascended to a Jedi Master. Um, Bro, I I got it, man. I got it. You know, um, but you know what what I hear you speaking out is is something that we've discussed before, which is you know money is not simply currency or cash or dollars. Money itself is a system. Uh, a system. And, and, and as, as with all systems, be they mechanical or otherwise, energy flows through that system. And what you're trying to, actually, this is something that my, uh, my old, old boss is worth, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars all from trading. Like he, he how the global economy is just the flow. You can imagine it almost as this ball of light, this flow of a dollar moving around this interconnected web around the globe. And when that, that ball of light gets caught somewhere or stuck 
or you know it just gets spread too thin, it gets too dim. That's when you have these economic crashes. And as a visualization mechanism for how the economy, the global economy works, I can think of a better one. But you speak about how you take you know money. You you make a decision where most people would say you have to pay cash and you have to make a large expenditure, which might mean literally you don't even get to eat as well for the next couple of months. And then you spread that. You take that money. That's so true. Mm-hmm. On a credit card, and then you you transfer that to another credit card, and you take the. But bro, initial- wait, wait, hold up. When, when the moment you transfer it to a credit card, that gives you like a nice like uh, cashbacks thing. Like you're already getting money on spending. And bro, I can go in on how credit cards make their money, but sorry, keep going. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, you take, but you you took your print the 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 money that you would have spent the cash that you would have spent on the credit card or to pay off that credit card debt. And then you invested that in the market, just moving your money, moving this energy, moving your personal capital through all these different forms. And it's all yours, right? You all have full control over it. And what it comes down to, I, I don't like the, the preachy way that a lot of personal finance, particularly Instagrams talk about, you know, budgeting and things like that as if it's, it's moralizing. It's dis, it's all about discipline. You got to be good enough. You got to be tough enough. You know, the early bird gets the worm. No, it's, it's life hacking. It's all about, you know, rewiring and reforming your incentive structures. It's all about understanding where the interest rates balance out so that you can take capital and create a higher interest rate in one aspect. That's a credit to you and then have a debit to you on a lower interest rate somewhere else. And then it's quote unquote, as the kids say, free real estate. Yeah. And I'd, I'd argue that the personal finance space is actually changing the way they think about debt and the way they think about budgeting. It's, it's become the, the conversation is changing more to, you know, make it work for you. So make it work, you know, and they, they know that not everyone can do cash envelopes type of system where you only work in cash or um, where you got to cut up your, your credit cards and like put it in the freezer. It's uh, more of like, like, Budgeting is kind of like a personality. You you got to figure out which which one is your budgeting personality. There are, there are so many different forms, strategies to to budget, and um, I think the personal finance space understands that. So so I, I applaud them on that. I don't know if you you've seen those accounts, but I'll I'll be happy to share them with you. I'm sorry, I got to defend my personal finance space. No, I mean, like I said, I'm uh, I'm always I'm always open to uh, you know enlightened correction. So please, please, if you have something to enlighten me with, I'm happy to receive it. Wow. What a, what a statement, bro. That that's a beautiful statement. I'm happy to receive it. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, Bennett. So uh, I, I really enjoyed this, this chat. I'm, I'm glad you, you brought up, I mean, like we were just talking last night and you, you brought up the idea about like rethinking debt, you know, and, and I, like my brain was like, rethinking huh like uh, like my brain was like i love debt i use it all the time yeah. <laughs> so um i i didn't realize that i guess yeah a lot a lot of people do think about about debt this way but but then i also understand that some people they, like in order to feel some sort of cleanse they need to completely rid themselves of their yeah. of their past self yeah. and part of that is getting rid of your debt completely and, and, and that- I agree with that, but in from from my actual from my formal education, from a behavioral psychology perspective, in that sense, then debt is no longer just debt. It has an emotional value that you can assign a dollar. Oh, 
Absolutely. Uh, money is very emotional for, for a lot of people. It was very emotional for, for me. Like, I think I, I had $15,000 in debt, <laughs> like, first year out of college because I was buying all of my, my business suits. I was like, you know, I was trying to look like I was part of the game. I was trying to fit in. And I had an, a very emotional tie to all of my debt. And I really needed to feel like I, I, I got rid of that old self that I paid it all off. So I do, I do get that purge. And then once, once that purge is over, then you can redefine your relationship. But then for those that have like hundreds of thousands of debt, like, man, it's going to take a long time for you, for you to get rid of um, that purge. So I'm like, you, you had to find some sort of balance and do a lot of like personal internal uh, reflection. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, one of the first things that the, the first real bonus I got from trading went directly to paying off my student loans. And I didn't have to do that. If I had invested that in, in the S&P, I would have made a 40, 50% return. But, you know, damn that 6% interest rate. But no, I wanted hold to get out of debt. Hold and up, get hold up. S&P 40, 50% return. Wait, well, what is this magic? Yeah, I mean, it talking was about? talking about back in, you know, 2014 or something like that. Till now. Okay. Okay. All right, that that period. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, excuse me. That should have been clear. But yeah, it was you know, like I said, it was one of my first early bonuses, uh, probably like a year and a half to two years out of college, and you know, it was such a, it was it was just such a great like feeling. It was something that I just wanted to be done with. It was kind of a metaphor for, for me growing up and leaving the nest. That you know, I didn't owe my parents money. I didn't owe the government money. I didn't owe the school money. I was done. I was my own man, and I, that had a high emotional value for me. Right. Yeah. No, I get it. That yeah. that is also a part of purging. Well, Bennett, do you have any last thoughts about rethinking debt and using it to your advantage? Yeah. Um. My final thought is 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 I is I just try to and I'd like to encourage people to bring things back to consciousness as much and as often and as many ways in their life as they can. Um. I think you know there's 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 not a dark side of this, but I think there's a shadow side to everything that we're talking about where. You know, sometimes you can't necessarily game the system. Sometimes you are going to get hit with those interest penalties. Sometimes you are, you know, going to have that increasing principle for a time. Yes, you're going to have to plan your way out of it. But on the other hand, like, what are you spending this money on? Like, what is this debt being generated from? Is, right. at least, are you getting a true emotional benefit out of it? Because, yeah, I get it. They say that money can't buy happiness. But as people say, money buys a jet skis and jet skis are happiness. So let's just I mean. Maybe for some people, but you're talking about re return on value, and I, I think um, when it comes to to buying things, like it's 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 useful to have some sort of like quadrant, uh, some sort of framework to help you figure out if yeah, I should I should buy this. Like, is this is this purchase related to my wellness? Is this purchase related to growing my career, or maybe like uh, enabling me to have a better uh, a relation with with my family? Like, I I think if you know you care about wellness, if you care about family, then then yeah, that that that's a return on, on value. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, worst case it open, you open the Amazon page and not say if you want it, sleep on it. Right. All right, bro. Um, I really enjoyed this talk. My, my morning brain has become mush officially. I'm like, yeah. I heard 30, 40%. I was like, what? Um, I hope, I hope you enjoyed this podcast and I hope you'll consider coming back and talking about uh, your experience in trading and just breaking that space down in English. Happy to do it. All right.
Thanks. All right, y'all. Much love.